then he gets in a situation where he realizes maybe I don't want to talk exclusively anymore with this other person. Let me do the let me do the respectable thing and go out with the other person. The respectable. <laughs> <laughs> up this is marcus Lindsay. hey it's mia bj and we are the better movie maybe podcast on this podcast we review films and go through movies that had great concepts but not so great execution we offer our suggestions our advice and our expertise and try to figure <laughs> out how we can make a better movie maybe this episode we're actually flipping the script we're reviewing scott pilgrim versus the world and we're doing just a great movie to begin with and seeing how what works in this movie how a better movie is made and if we even have any improvements on a movie this good so we'll open this up with our first impressions and then we'll hop right into it man this is one of my top top five top 10 movies for sure um i remember i fell in love with it the first time i saw it in theaters mm -hmm. um i was in college and I remember no one else, like, it was just me and, I can't remember who came with me, but it was me and a few friends. No one else was in the theater. And I just, from the very beginning, the, you know, the 8-bit uh, universal intro, yeah. I was just like, I can't, I can't believe that I just saw, just like, just the 8-bit intro, I could have left. That's all I needed. But man, I've seen, I can't, I, I have no, I've seen this movie so many times. Like maybe a couple times a year. I just love it so much. And uh especially watching it this time, like really paying attention. Like there's a lot of little details, a lot of secret little man, it's just a it's just like a tribute to nerd stuff and nerd relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same with you on that BJ. I remember watching it the first time and absolutely loving the film. And um I rewatch it not on purpose, it's just sometimes it'll be on TV and I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna watch the second half of the movie or catch the first before I have to go somewhere. Cause it's always a good time when I watch it. And uh, watching it for this podcast, I just, I enjoyed seeing so many of these major stars before they really like, got major roles. So that was really cool to see. Like there's mad people in this film and this was kind of before a lot of them blew up. So that was fun yeah. to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember seeing this the first time back in the day and I really liked it. I thought it was everything that I liked put together. So you had like really cool comic book moments. Then on top of that, you almost had this anime feel to it. Then you had the comedy, the action, the special effects. Then you throw video games on top of it. Like it just kept going. And I was like, man, this is everything I could think of seamlessly woven together to make a really fun movie like even with the the sound effects when they would do something and you'd see the big words like on a comic panel dope when i came back and watched it the second time i think i'm coming back after reading the the graphic novel i saw i read the graphic novel after watching the, the actual movie and i was oh there's a lot that they have to cut out to make a movie the graphic novel as a whole like works a little bit better. I think the movie is is good. But when you watch the graphic novel, it's not that it takes away from the movie, but you're like, oh, there was some other story elements that they just 
a race to keep the movie going. And that's fine because the movie, the movie is cohesive. It works. I think the third act of this movie or the end is kind of rushed. I think it, I think it takes off really fast. Like the last couple of X's and we'll talk about it. They kind of show up and disappear extremely quickly with barely a backstory. And I mean, I have some issues with Michael Sarah that we could talk about too. <laughs> what? He is a national treasure. How dare you? Stop it. So <laughs> I have some issues with that as well. But I mean, we'll get into it and you know, I'll kind of share my thoughts on it as we go into it. So I don't I don't hate Scott Pilgrim. Sorry. I hopefully that didn't come off as me saying I don't like it. I just thought there's some parts to it that I was like, eh, it could be improved. It's good. It's good. That's, that is um, all incorrect um, because everything <laughs> in the film is perfect. And uh, we're going to prove that as we get into the film. I'm going to lead this time. I'm sick of hearing Marcus' voice all the time. Yeah. So I told him to shut up and let me talk about this movie for once. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, we open up, and I don't know if there's, I mean, I know there's other movies where even just the, the studio intro is important. But this movie, it literally starts with, I guess technically it's 24-bit, right? Chip tune, you know, universal intro. Like, you know, like, you know what you're about to get into immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they don't waste any time. We immediately are introduced to Scott, Kim, Young Neil, Stephen Stills, uh, and quickly Knives Chow in the kitchen because they're roasting our man Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> yeah. who's 22 years old. For dating a seventeen-year-old girl, and uh, and they they immediately I like they they immediately ask the question, "Have you done anything yet?" <laughs> because that's the first thought is like, "Bruh, isn't this illegal?" Right. He's like, "Oh, we've done many things, like hold hands, and that's it. That's it." So it's like, okay, bet like it's weird, but we don't have to hate Scott, right? Um, I think that scene is dope. The setup, because they they kind of show all these different individuals and how they kind of interact with each other. You get the camaraderie immediately and you're like immediately transported into band practice and all that. So it it sets up stuff in like two minutes that you can kind of hold for the rest of the movie. So it's easy. We get it. We get all the character characterizations from each one. Kim is hilarious. <laughs> I'm not Kim's playing your best. games, kids. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so good. She's like, her character's so funny, but it's also like, there's a lot of layers to her, even though she doesn't have tons of lines. Mm-hmm. Like, once you, like, learn more about her background, and it's just like, you ask questions, like, why is she there? But then you kind of see the rest of the world, and it's just like, well, I guess where else would she go? You know, like, it's just kind of like this weird, small world. Uh, but yeah, no, you're like the setup, you know, and Knives just shows up and they immediately get into this practice. It's a great little intro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we get the, you know, Knives shows up. They play Launchpad McQuack, which is not the official title. <laughs> Again, they're just giving you all this nerd stuff. Sex Bombs, Launchpad McQuack, like even the the intro uh, music, you know, when we come into the kitchen is from Zelda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm just, it's just a nerdgasm. Like it's just, 
<laughs> it's delicious. Um, so yeah, we have that intro, and then we jump into the movie after the uh, the title card, um, where we we meet Wallace Wells at Scott Pilgrim's apartment. Yeah, twenty five year old gay. <laughs> Wallace is probably my favorite character in the whole movie. Right, like he he's hilarious. He kind of keeps the plot going where he'll like say something like he's the guy that's always like fight like he's ready to (laughs) you gotta fight scott and i think this scene is dope because i think is this when he talks about how he's dating somebody that's 17 and then he's like don't tell anybody and he's like all right who am i gonna tell and he walks in the other room and immediately scott's sister calls she's like you're dating a 17 year old and he's like wallace how (laughs) <laughs> you gossipy bitch <laughs> you know me <laughs> it's so oh good. man it is it's crazy how much he looks like his brother oh yeah uh, macaulay, macaulay Culkin. Culkin. Yeah. yeah yeah but yeah. i he was in like a couple movies but i haven't seen him lately he's funny he's in uh this tv show called succession and he's really good it's on mm. i want to say it's on hbo Okay. Or Showtime, one of those shows. But yeah, he's really good in that. He almost plays a Wallace type character in that too, so it's kind of funny. Oh, yeah, he's pretty similar. Yeah, I really like. <laughs> I really love the precedent they set up in this movie. We're introduced to Scott. He's got a seventeen-year-old girlfriend. Then we meet his gay roommate, and they're sharing a bed. <laughs> but like, we're we don't have to ask. Like, there's no questions. We don't need to worry about it. like it's just it just adds to the ridiculousness of the movie mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and of course it gets more and more ridiculous you know i think there's like five dudes in the bed at one point <laughs> they keep like popping up when he wakes up from dreams and he's like, is he dreaming about a girl again and i was like why are there so many dudes on this mattress <laughs> and it's funny because like he doesn't kick him out until like there's five dudes he's like all right now you gotta leave it's just like <laughs> right you didn't want to. You didn't want to kick him out after two dudes were in your apartment. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so silly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we meet Wallace. We meet uh, uh, Scott's sister, and we see how she is just always going to cut him down. <laughs> and it's funny because you know Anna Kendrick. I, I have a feeling that she was cast after the movie, maybe because she never shares a scene with any other character. Like they're never literally on camera at the same time. I think it's ridiculous. I, but I also think it's amazing because they. I feel like he he makes a joke of it later on in the movie when uh, Scott goes to the to the coffee shop because he's looking for his sister and she's outside. She's outside Sorry, I, I gotta go. go. <laughs> Hilarious. But yeah, so uh, we meet Wallace, and this movie kind of keeps moving, man, because we immediately. We get to meet Knives again, where he picks her up after school <laughs> for, for an after-school date. It's like a play date. It's like playtime. <laughs> you got Wallace who came along and almost wants to know who, which kids in the class are gay. So, I don't know. It's just oh yeah, because she says a little joke where she says a line where she goes, "Oh, you want to know who in my class is gay?" And he's like, "Does he wear glasses?" <laughs> and i was like whose man is this <laughs> get your man you know he, he gives a nice little warning mm-hmm. to knives leave him you're too good for him um 
you know? And I feel like this movie did a really good job of like putting little things like that throughout the movie um, that just kind of kept pushing the plot, kept pushing the theme. Cause like, it's true. Like we're introduced to Scott as like the hero, but he's a dirtbag. <laughs> like, even from the, like just the intro of like, you're 22 dating a 17 year old, like, nah, man, like she's, no, like this, that's bad. <laughs> but like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and like none of the characters let him off the hook. Which I think is uh, is fun, but yeah. So we see them go on their little date, record store, arcade. Mm-hmm. Do they get pizza? I think they get pizza. They get pizza. Is that arcade game real? Oh, that DDR Ninja game. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like it should be. I don't know, but it seems dope. Yeah, it's very dope. <laughs> I would play that. <laughs> Yeah, it was straight up DDR like ninja fighting. Yeah, it was like, a DDR action game, which should be a thing. It's probably a thing. It's probably Hopefully. over in Japan. They just don't yeah. have it here. Yeah, it could be in Canada. Oh, okay. It could be in Toronto. It, is. it was set in Canada. You're right. Toronto. Yeah, <laughs> a strange place called Toronto, Canada. Um, yeah, and like even just like that setup of that game is actually pretty important to the movie. Like it feels like it's just kind of silly, but the conversation that they have while they're playing, the game itself, the introduction, uh, introduction of the idea of a nega character, nega ninja, mm-hmm. like you know, like it's it's all it's all part of that setup, which I think is brilliant. Um, yeah, that's one thing I'll say about this film as a whole is that they're really good at playing off of jokes they made at the beginning or introducing concepts and bringing mm-hmm. it back, like. Some other movies will like throw out something and you'd be like, oh, okay, that's important. I need to follow it. And then it's like, nope, we're never bringing it back up again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but Scott Pilgrim did a really good job of if they, if they mention it, if they show you it, it's like this, they're going to make a gag out of it like three, four scenes later. So yeah. I thought yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I think to add to that, right, is everything in this movie is intentional. So whether it's Ramona handing him a card with her number that has seven X's on the bottom or, you know, whether it's, you know, the different bands or things or the songs that people are playing, like everything has this reason to it as to why it's there in the movie. And to your point, like a lot of movies that we've done before throw things in there because they're like, this is cool. This looks good. This is a cool saying that the hero would say, even though it doesn't make sense in the context of the film, they just kind of toss it in for like, okay, yeah, we need an action sequence here or we needed this. This movie was like, this goes here because later on this will come back or this is an interesting thing because when you do it later, it makes more sense. You set up like the different characters and then when you introduce them later, like Julie at the the party where she's kind of like, oh, I told you not to talk to Ramona. Then later on when things go bad, she's like, didn't I tell you not to talk to Ramona? And yeah. yet, you have these things where the situation comes back full circle. So it just makes the movie feel complete. No, I yeah, like, go ahead, go like ahead. an example, an example of a movie we reviewed that did the complete opposite of this was Jupiter Ascending. That yeah. thing introduced so many concepts. Right. Call me Jupe. And- <laughs> call, call me Jupe. Call me Jupe. No. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, that movie just had a lot of dangling 
dangling bits of information that never came back. <laughs> so this is a good contrast of, of how to do it. They didn't call her Jupe. <laughs> no, call one called, Jupe. no one called her Jupe. Never. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, that's I think that's super crucial. Like even thinking about the record scene, like when they're in the record and you know, uh store, they're talking to Julie. You know, we have the introduction to the idea of uh, Clash at Demon Head, mm-hmm. you know, and um, but you have that moment where like where Julie, like the way she was talking, like there's that intense moment where slowly it pans in and slowly everything kind of gets darker. And it's like, you know, you have this like this whole section that we've talked about so far is all introduction. We're getting to know the characters, the world, and a lot of times it's boring in movies. But this one, it seems to be moving quickly. It's funny. You know, we're, we're getting attached to different characters. But we, we, we're, and we're also slowly being indoctrinated to this idea of like, this is inspired by comic books. So you're going to get something pretty soon here that's going to, you know, just that little moment from Julie. We're going to get more of that at that party. And then all of a sudden, when the random fight scene shows up at that first tournament uh, uh, performance, like it's not it's surprising mm-hmm. but it's not like out of place you know yeah. because they've already kind of set us up um even like with what you're talking about like the idea of theme everything is still tied to the theme you know which is clearly about relationships like they don't they don't make you guess what's this movie about no 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 this guy is dating a 17 year old because he got broken up with you know mm-hmm. exactly and so of course in this next scene um you know, one of my favorite jokes is you want to see where I where I grew up. <laughs> it's just out. Um, I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah. again, it's a funny joke to me. It gets me every time, but it also shows like this dude might be a loser. Like he's living in a basement across the street from his parents' house. Mm-hmm. Like he he might suck. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So then we we have him go to sleep. Um, and then we meet Ramona Flowers mm-hmm. uh, kind of mysteriously um, in his dream. And the fact that he immediately latches on to her, he's got a great, like, clearly right. this is a dirtbag dude who doesn't know what he's doing with life. Because he's just obsessed. Like, just all he did is see her skate, you know? Um, and then, of course, we meet her for real at the library right after that mm-hmm. dream. Um and that's yes. when he has that that moment where he sees her, she sees him. The knives sees that both of them see each other. So we kind of kick off this love triangle that goes yep. throughout the movie, mm-hmm. which is yeah, which which I like, which is pretty interesting. Like this, you know is, her? this is probably a a good a good point for me to say my beef with Michael Sarah in this movie. <laughs> so the whole Scott Pilgrim character isn't isn't who Michael Sarah plays him as. And mm. Michael Sarah to me plays him as a dork and basically every Michael Sarah rolled up to this point where he's kind of like this uh, stuttering, like super awkward, whatever guy. In this movie, in this universe, everybody else in this universe talks about Scott like he's a lady killer. Like Julie even calls him a lady killer. Michael Mm. Sarah is not a lady killer. And (laughs) the movie makes him so awkward that for me watching it the second time, 
it's weird that women are super attracted to him and then like or he doesn't have he doesn't say anything really clever like he has a couple like gamey lines but he almost says them so awkward and in his weird dork voice that i'm like people fall for this he's a lady killer mm-hmm. and like because the way julie was like don't talk to her because you always break hearts and you're always it made it sound like he's always finding women and being the guy and i know this is me digging too deep because i read the books but in the books he's not michael sarah like he's more like the rest of his crew where he's a loser he's no good but he's not a guy that doesn't know how to talk to girls and get girlfriends and whatever he's just kind of a, an adult that doesn't know what he's doing with his life that's a nerd that's into video games and whatever but he can get women and so I thought Michael Sarah's he works in the role because I think the movie kind of works around him but ultimately I I think he just plays it wrong for me like I don't think Scott Pilgrim is a dork loser type character or this weird awkward like ooh, he's not that guy He's just, I don't know, it's weird. I just think Michael Sarah plays him like Michael Sarah, and it throws me off the entire movie. But I don't hate yeah. Scott Pilgrim. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I think I think I gotta I gotta ask a question here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is it possible that <laughs> that uh, there might be a certain type of woman <laughs> that was represented in this film? that maybe might have a certain type of taste for a certain type. Like, I'm okay, I grew up in small white towns in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And one of the first lessons that I learned in high school, puberty, is you either want chocolate or you want vanilla. And sometimes you're just like, yo, this, I got this Sunday going on over here. This joint's delicious. Why are you eating that vanilla ass ice cream? I've seen some vanilla mother suckers pulling some craziness and I'm just confused, but mm. maybe it's different in the great white North. Maybe. Smooth, very white voice, Marcus. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Toronto is different. Maybe lady killers don't need to sound like Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Because, and, and I mean, of course, I'm not going to make an assumption of what, you know, are the sexual preferences of white women in Toronto um, or Chinese women for that matter. But uh, I don't know. Like, I, I also like, you already kind of said it, Mark, is like, I think the way Michael Sarah plays it, it forces you to kind of have that dissonance and be like, there's no way this dude could ever be a player. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Like, this guy, you know, of course he's going to feel some type of way about Ramona with all these exes. Sure. You know, he's like, what? You've never you've never been dumped? But then when we get to the reality, and she's, like, drilling him later, like, yeah, you've, you've never been dumped. You've been dumped once, and you're over here acting like a bitch. You know what I'm right. saying? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I feel like it might be kind of part, like, but, I mean, again, you already kind of said it, but to circle it all the way back. I've definitely seen some <laughs> just like, how is that noodly white guy pulling? He's out here pulling like a dentist, bro. Pulling like a dentist. <laughs> you heard it here first. 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's my only. No, I, I, I get you. I think that's my only thing with Michael Sarah in this whole movie was he's almost more cartoon character than everybody yeah. else in the movie. Yeah. And everybody else has, is eccentric, but he just plays Michael Sarah from Super Bad in this. And it's kind of <laughs> like, that's. I don't that's think that's character. I don't think that's the character that Scott Pilgrim <laughs> is like in the story of how everybody else talks about him. And that's that's kind of it to me. So and I think he's close to it. He's just he just goes too far into being a geek. Like he's there. I don't think Scott Pilgrim is cool, but at the same time, I think Marco Sarah just takes it all the way to like he's a loser and a geek and a whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. He's not cool, but he's not like that guy. I don't know. So who's who's the better Scott Pilgrim? Who are we casting here? Who's going to do a better job than Michael Sarah? Uh, man, I can't even think of who would have been that actor back then, because he was kind of like the guy. That's kind of part of it. Yeah, yeah he was he was the guy that you put on the on. Yeah, the he's he's hot off of Superbad, hot off of uh, Arrested Development, and it's just like. Yeah, and he's so unique. Like, there's no voice or face like Michael Sarah's. Like, he's like a perpetual man boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, who's the other dude? He's he's kind of Michael Sarah ish, but I can see him stumbling into it. He was in the um, what was that? It was the show. Oh, man, now I can't remember his name. He was in This Is the End with like michael Sarah and all these dudes he was like the main character oh, oh uh yeah jay, uh, Josh, jay, jay yeah. yeah yeah him i think he does it he plays kind of the michael Sarah, but he's not as super duper awkward like he goes there but you can see that somebody will find him charming yeah like, I, I think he fits that role yeah that's a good one there's um there's a show i don't know if y'all heard of it immediately check it out i think y'all will love it and i can't believe i haven't told you about the show before man seeking woman no that's the show I was trying oh to yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah it's fantastic yeah. yo well how have we not talked about man seeking woman can we just <laughs> pretty change, much it's pretty much the the show. Right it really is because it's like <laughs> it's a bunch of nerdy fantasy stuff but it's about dating yeah and it's still it's like allegorical too but yeah like because you kind of get the same vibe of like yeah. oh this poor dude but then when he keeps pulling, you're like, wait a second. You're not no punk. You're a, you're a sleeping giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that show didn't get enough recognition. I love that show. It was good. But yeah, it was kind of that same type of premise. I think he he probably would be my next choice to do something okay. like this where you're awkward, but you're you're not playing it super into the dorky. Like he gets dates and he's kind of that guy because he's he tries he's goofy he's not super confident but he's not a loser loser i don't know he has a different vibe okay all right i, I feel like that's a nice little in the back of the head maybe we're gonna come up with more as we keep going yeah let's um, keep it going. i'm with it so yeah so again like we see ramona in the library the lock eyes and scott doesn't even realize that knives chow exists anymore and we have this cool little uh time lapse sequence where He's just displaced. He can't, like, all he's doing is thinking about Ramona, and mm -hmm. he finds himself at this party somehow, 
he's like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? But then he hears Ramona is here at this part. Right. Of course, like we meet Kobu actually. He's like, do you know this girl with the, with the really squiggle? Oh, you mean Ramona Flowers? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, but yeah, then, then we have an actual meeting for the first time, Scott and Ramona talking. And yeah, he plays it very Michael Sarah. He, he opens up with the it. Pac-Man. The Pac- yeah, the Pac-Man story. <laughs> that, it was funny because... I think it's kind of the point of this movie, right, is he got his heart broken and then he dates somebody that he's kind of in the position of power with, somebody that's yeah. younger than him. Because he yeah. tells the Pac-Man story to her and he's super just like, you know, Pac-Man was based on this, da 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 But then when he tries to do it with Ramona, he's the most fumbliest, non-confident guy to try and tell the story. And he's like, I'm going to walk away forever now. She's like, yeah, do that. And it's crazy because it's like... You know, obviously, maybe not obviously, the movie's theme is, to me, it's, it's baggage, right? It's baggage and relationships. Mm-hmm. So you have this dude who got dumped by one woman, who we find out later is now a super rock star. And then, you know, he meets Ramona and he asks around this party about her. And all we hear is like, yo, she's badass. Like, she's got some battle scars. She's so cool. She's from New York. Like, everything about her is she's powerful. So clearly you got this dude, Scott Pilgrim, who's attracted to powerful women. And it, and it contrasts immediately. Why, like, why are you dating your fake high school girlfriend? Like, what are right. you doing? Because clearly <laughs> you love to be dominated. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you're, you're not interested in being the most powerful dude. Because, um, yeah, like, immediately, you know, obviously he, he strikes out. And then, uh, and then he goes back home. And he's just like, I think she's the girl of my dreams, whatever. Wallace is like, then break up with your fake high school girlfriend. Um, and then uh, he orders a package on Amazon.ca. Yeah, because we're in Canada, baby. <laughs> because we're in Canada. And uh, while he's making that, that order, he gets an email and he glosses over it and he, from Matthew Patel. And he's like, this is boring. Yeah, it was, it. It was basically giving the entire plot all the rules and yes. he skipped it. And I yes. think, I think, uh, like all these scenes leading up to this, and you mentioned it a bit, but I think this goes a lot to Edgar, Edgar Wright's directing skills is to relay information in an interesting and fun way. And while doing that, keep the movie moving. Yeah. and keep the plot developing and i think they do this through a variety of ways that in other movies turns into a walk-in chat and that's kind of it in this movie you get the email you get the different almost like interviews because it's going so quick when he's asking about who ramona is he's like she's got some battle scars dude <laughs> and like you talk to all these different people um and i think something that is almost undervalued in this movie are the transitions yeah so, what I, mm-hmm. what I loved about this movie were when they would be talking someplace, the scene would switch instantly. And in most movies, it's awkward because they'll, they'll switch a scene that was very stagnant and they'll continue having this conversation someplace else. And you're like, did they, did they just stop talking and then complete, <laughs> complete the training in yeah. another room? Yeah. And in this one, because the scene switched like this and you know it's a comic, you have this comic book feel the entire time. You just think of it as panels because that's how panels work in comics is you just go from scene to scene from square to square you can be anywhere at any time 
And so they would do that. And I think there's these other moments that I love in any movie, but in this, they work very well is when somebody would complete somebody's sentence in a whole nother scene. And that's just how we transitioned into it. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think you were saying this with like the part when he was just obsessed with Ramona and they were like at practice. And then after practice, somebody's like, Hey Scott. And then they're walking in the street and he's like, what are we doing? He's like, we're going to the party. Then they're inside already. And you're like, it keeps the move. The pacing is so cool because you're mm-hmm. getting information. You're seeing the movie, you're seeing the characters react and you're already like 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah, no, nah, the Edgar Wright is definitely the king of, of like editing sequences. He's very much in touch with like, I'm going to make sure that everything in this movie, you know, makes sense for the film, for the theme, whatever. But also I want you to be entertained. Like I want you to, you right. know, like he gave blatant uh, uh, exposition through this email. But when the main character just deletes it, it's a joke. It's played for laughs. Mm-hmm. And he, he even makes sure that we get the information because they repeat it several times, you know, in different interesting ways through different characters, whatever. Um, but again, it's like, I'm not just going to give you exposition. I know you need to know what's up. I'm going to make it funny. But then I'm going to remind you, but by the way, remember that email? Mm-hmm. That, like, this is Matthew Patel. You know what I'm saying? And it's mm-hmm. like, it's just, it's genius. I think it's genius. I mean, Edgar, if you haven't seen other Edgar Wright films, audience, do yourself a favor. The dude's a master. Like, he kills it. Um, and so, yeah, so he orders this thing, deletes the email. Then we see another date, just like the after-school date that we saw before. But this time, Michael Sarah is not present. This dude doesn't want to be there. He's bored. He realizes that he's dating a 17-year-old, and there's a perfectly fine 22-year-old woman out there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have this really cool moment with the DDR ninja where she's like, do you want to keep going? And then, you know, mm-hmm. it says, game yeah. over. Continue. <laughs> and it's like, it's, again, this is like flawless. Like, there's 20 layers in that small <laughs> moment alone. Yeah. And he's just looking at her. And, you you know, even when they cut from that moment to, um, to you know, uh, Scott being at home, whatever, getting the package, actually having a dream about Ramona delivering the package, uh, it's just like, it's crazy because they cut from that. Do you want to continue? And he doesn't answer. Cut to this thing. So now you're questioning, did he break up with her already? Like, what's up? Um, but yeah, so from that video game, we get to practice and we get the, we get the, uh, man, I can't think of the proper term right now, but we get the vehicle, the, the plot device that's going to push this movie forward. Mm-hmm. And the band Sex Bomb is officially accepted into, into the Toronto Battle of the Bands. Yeah, yeah. Now the first performance coming up. Um, against Crash and the Boys. Against Crash and the Boys. <laughs> is that girl also a boy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Because um, I'm pretty sure, again, here we get this bit of exposition that's important. And I'm pretty sure this dude daydreams. And here we got Ramona again showing up in his dream. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up. And then he runs to the door, whatever. And she's there. And like, this is, am I crazy? I feel like I just dreamed about you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and here's to what you're saying about comics, Marcus. She gets to explain the subspace highway yeah through his mind or whatever <laughs> and it's just right. like this is a thing and let's move on i was like okay bet because it's like it pl- it's played for jokes nerds yeah. they get it it's like oh subspace sure but in the comics like they're actually 
Like that's a plot point. Like there's subspace highways, and uh, I think her purse is even an access way to the subspace, and that's why she can pull out a large hammer. hammer. Yeah, like there's actually oh. nerd reasons for the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah, so I didn't know all of that, but it didn't take away from the film. Right. I mean, right. I know that. So that was cool. Yeah, because apparently he has a subspace highway that's really conveniently going through his head. <laughs> I love it. It's just so nerdy. <laughs> like, and I think like I think that's why this movie didn't do well in theaters and is a cult classic, because the percentage of people that want that, <laughs> that enjoy that kind of stuff. Like, come on, man. Like, my mom doesn't care about that. <laughs> what's a what's a subspace? Like, this is not this is not a Marvel movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I think with this movie, you have to your point is that there's a very niche audience for it. But I think with some movies, like we did Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat isn't a a big everybody's supposed to see it. But what this movie does is it knows who its audience is and then it just caters directly to them. Right. right. It gives the people that want to see this movie what they want. What we see in a lot of other movies is these are movies of stories that only a couple people really want to see. And they'll try to turn it into a movie that everybody might want to watch. And I think in doing that, you take out a lot of those elements that made that movie interesting. Like if they were to take this movie and try to make it more broad, more general, you probably take out that subspace stuff. You kind of remove a little bit of the comic stuff and take out some of the anime stuff and you you make it a, play it a little bit more straight like a romantic comedy where oh you have to deal with people's axes and i think this movie decided just let's just double down on it being something that fans would like and, but i think the the flip side is you only get like people like us to actually watch and enjoy it like i don't yeah. think it's something you can put in front of everybody and i'm like well why is this person flying i thought he was a regular guy why mm-hmm. does she have a giant hammer in her purse and why do they t- turn the coins when they die? Like, right. these things we can skip over because it's made in a way that we can kind of consume it. But I think if you try to make it general, nah, I think it'd be worse yeah. off, right? Yeah, it, it wouldn't have. It would have been a waste of the $85 million budget. No <laughs> um, so uh, Ramona shows up, delivers the package. This dude basically pressures her into a date um they immediately go on this date which i thought is cool like i feel like a lot of times movies just kind of like here's a plot point then we're gonna take time to no 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 want to go on a date they immediately go on this date mm-hmm. um they take a walk and we start to know more about ramona and why she's there and uh, we even get a little bit more about scott and it leads me to this question at what point did scott pilgrim actually cheat what was the moment from between asking for the package and maybe it's before to you know we get to her apartment they have tea they have a little bit more than tea um at what point did scott pilgrim actually cheat within the sequence in the sequence and maybe it's before um, I, the think, sequence. I think it was when he asked the girl out on a date and he still had a girlfriend because he did say date I, didn't he? what he did he call word. it I think he called it a date. No, he didn't. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, I would probably say it's around then, especially seeing that he was going to break up with this girl. Like he was already infatuated with Ramona, right? And it was going to break up with Knives, and then just didn't to try and spare her feelings or whatever he was mm-hmm. thinking. But 
I would say it's at that point because now it's premeditated. <laughs> like mm. now it's like one of those you had a girlfriend, you could have broke up with her, and then you're just like, eh, I'm just going to date with this other girl. I don't know, something like that. My single behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from from the perpetually single per- perspective, I want to say he didn't cheat until after he removed his eyes and saw there was a half-naked woman in front of him. No, you can't be, you shouldn't even be in her apartment, (laughs) bruh. Bruh, come on. (laughs) Look, look, look. This man is trying to convince two married people. Look, (laughs) right? Check it out. That's not gonna fly. Check it out. I can have, I can have an acquaintance, a friend, someone that I'm just not interested in. Let's, let's, let's put it in even better terms, okay? Uh, one of my lesbian homies. I can be like, hey, let's go on a little date. Me and this person can go on a date. So just uh-huh. using the word date, it's a word. A word is a word. We can go out, you know, we can take a walk. We can talk about things. It's a date. It's fine. So that's okay, right? Being interested in somebody else or having feelings about someone else while I'm in a relationship, like, you know, like, yeah, I got some stuff I got to deal with, but I haven't done a deed. But it's like, He's in the apartment. They have the tea. He walks into the room. He's he didn't know she was gonna be changing like that. So he immediately covers his eyes because he's a gentleman, right? He's a gentleman. So, but then he feels her warm flesh, opens his eyes. That's when he cheated. So, ooh, that's warm. What is that? I'm not Scott. Now you messed up. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna stay on it because this isn't a relationship podcast. But. <laughs> If you have feelings for somebody and you're in a relationship with somebody else, you better not go to their apartment thinking you're just going to be friends. That doesn't make any sense. If you put yourself, if he's already, because the thing is, your example is you're going out to hang out with somebody of the opposite sex that you're not interested in. And that's fine. Okay, sure. But if you're already interested to the point that you're sitting in front of a door waiting for an Amazon package just to talk to the delivery on the hopes unless there's only one Amazon delivery person in all of Toronto. Oh, and he's just sitting there hoping that Roboto Flowers is going to come to the thing. If you're going out with her, you're not going out just to kick it. You're not going out just to kick it. I don't believe you. <laughs> but, but also we're talking about, you know, no vows have been shared. There's no <laughs> ring. There's no certificate. <laughs> what we're talking about is an arrangement between two individuals. Okay. They're saying, hey, I'm interested in you. Okay. We're not we're not at death do we part, you know, we're not at you know rich or poor. It's just like, oh, you're kind of cool, I'm kind of cool, like oh. you know, let's let's talk exclusively. But then he gets in a situation where he realizes maybe I don't want to talk exclusively anymore with this other person. Let me do the let me do the respectable thing and go out with the other person. The respectable <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> All right, now now I see what you're saying. Let me just say to the ladies out there that have been following our podcast and was like, this BJ guy seems like an interesting character. I want to slide to his DM. You know his philosophy. You know his approach now. So just, just keep that in mind. Just, just be wary, you know. If he <laughs> if he thinks someone else is interesting, he's gonna be respectable and go go exercise those options. <laughs> okay, Kevin Samuels. <laughs> Maybe I should have played Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, there you go. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> going back, going back to the movie, um, something, <laughs> something that I thought they did really well with the characters in the love triangle is they didn't make, at least in my perspective, they didn't make um, like knives. Like even though she had like the crazy stalker moment after they broke up, mm-hmm. it was like it it didn't make it seem like she was a bad person because of the mm-hmm. way she's acting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even Ramona, like she didn't know that she was cheating. And there was even a conversation where he says something along the lines of, um, "Yeah, I cheated. I cheated on knives with you." And then they're like, "Well, didn't you cheat on Ramona too?" And yeah. it's like. It, it's it's such a it's such a valuable point because a lot of times in these other women situations they always make the other woman being like well um you you were the one that went with somebody who was in the relationship so you're the bad person and it's like no he treated them both disrespectfully because mm-hmm. he didn't give them the full attention and so mm-hmm. you need to understand that this guy is not a good guy to either mm-hmm. of them because he didn't respect them by being being truthful so that's that's something that plays throughout the movie and i i just really like how they did the female characters oh, by yeah. not turning them into to like the crazy stereotype of mm-hmm. of whatever tropes you know yeah no they like even like thinking about kim and we get the explanation later on in the film like she has this dark disposition not because oh she's some weird chick no 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 because scott pilgrim ruined her life and mm-hmm. she's stuck without any other friends and she's cursed to continue watch this dude play all these other women and it's like it, it's exactly what you're saying it's like all the characters get to have layers you know and even knives and ramona n- neither are good or evil right like they're just people it's not like oh yeah knives is the great no 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 she's just 17 and if anything that isn't even the problem the problem is scott couldn't be faithful to his girlfriend because just someone rollerbladed through his head once like mm-hmm. really, bro? Like, mm-hmm. like you, you probably shouldn't be dating Ramona. I mean, but you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, so I want to keep it pushing. They have their moment. Um, and then, you know, they lay in bed. We don't know. Oh, actually, I guess we know what happens in the morning. He's like, yo, can we hang out again? Because for one, I didn't even get any, which I thought was an interesting uh choice of dialogue. Like everything that he says after in the morning after is very selfish hey can this not be a one-night stand because for one i didn't get me why don't you come and see me perform at the battle of the bands the whole thing has nothing to do with ramona he's just a selfish jerkwad but again the movie is really good at covering these things up so this is the moment where she gives him her number with the seven x's right um and then we pretty quickly get to the um get to the actual venue and uh, and we have kind of the first uh, dramatic moment where Knives or where Ramona meets Scott's sister, and then Knives pops up, and like we start to see Scott like realize like, oh, what a what a tangled web I have woven, <laughs> and he and the whole like it's crazy because like the whole scene there's all these layers like he's got to oh man I got to run away, and then now they're talking it's like oh shoot like we got to play we got to play loud you know and then like. <laughs> It's like, it's just constantly like, you're, you're waiting to see is Knives going to tell Ramona that Scott's their boyfriend, but then there's a fight scene. Like, it's just, it's, yeah. it's just beautifully tense. Like it's, it's, it's not just a fight scene. It's not just 
played for drama or jokes. Like it's just 20 things at once. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's a pretty big scene, you mm-hmm. know, or were there other, other yeah. feelings or thoughts about like, it? Like I like this scene. Um, it, it still works on like some character development type stuff where you start to see that Scott is kind of a coward when it comes to relationship mm-hmm. stuff. Right. But then you get the fight scene with Matthew Patel where you're like, Oh, but he will fight. And, but he runs away from like petty stuff. Like the two girls are there and he's like, I gotta go. And I think he does this later. He's like, I gotta pee. Or he's like, I, I need to pee on her. Like his little beard doesn't work correctly. And so you see that as soon as conflict comes up, he runs or he kind of hides. And that's kind of his character. Uh, The thing that I thought was the best about this scene, like the fight is cool. It's real, really greatly animated, uh, choreographed. And then you have, Wallace hitting on Scott's sister's <laughs> boyfriend, yeah. which is hilarious because he's like, he's like, hey, does this uh does this band rock or do they suck? And he's like, well, they haven't played yet. He's like, that was the correct answer. I was testing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this dude is hilarious. Uh, that that got me. And then crashing the boys' first song when he's like, uh, this song is called. I'm sad. I'm so very, very sad. Boom, 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 boom. So oh, sad. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it's then, not a race. <laughs> but this next song goes to the gentleman up there. It's called We Hate You, Please Die. <laughs> but I, I thought all of that was just clever. It's just cool, just funny stuff. Yeah. Um, and I guess my other joint with this movie, right, comes up, comes about here is I like the fight sequence, the stuff with the X's, and I know it has to happen, but I Ultimately, I feel like I enjoyed the movie outside of this stuff. Like mm-hmm. the the action sequences and stuff are cool and they're fun. But I would have watched the movie without all of that. Like mm-hmm. I thought everything leading to those points was hilarious and well put together. And then they're just like, here's action. And it's like, I get that's the point. You got to fight the exes. But I think I'm probably in the minority. But I love everything until each fight like leading oh, up to every fight oh, yeah. i think it's really great and then the fights are fine and then we move on i think that's what blew my mind first time i saw it i'm have i, I had no idea what this movie's about you know walking in um i'm one of i'm a strange person i don't really like trailers i like to just watch a movie you know mm-hmm. if i if i like the the director if i like the the actors i'm gonna just step in go in raw um but like this movie up until this point is just a fun romantic comedy and I was with it. And then you give me crazy, stupid video game action. You know, I was just like this, like it, it was, it was the gift that kept on giving. Um, even, all right, I noticed this time around in this scene, particularly Knives Child shows up wearing green and white. And then she, when she takes off that jacket, she's wearing a Miss Marvel shirt. So it, I, I feel like it's a tribute to how Rogue of the X-Men takes Miss Marvel's powers. Nice little nerdy thing. And then Knives Chow, mm-hmm. she's clearly wearing a Nightwing jacket. Like it's like Nightwing's like black with the blue while she's playing mm-hmm. the uh, playing the drums. And it's just like, oh, like just, it's just nerd. Like I hadn't, like I've watched this movie 10 million times and I just, oh man. Still fine stuff. Little nerdy stuff. Um. But yeah, like we get this introduction to Matthew Patel and he repeats everything in the email, but then we get the joke. Wait, did you not receive the email where I explained all of <laughs> right. this to you? And it's like, like it's funny because like we as the audience, technically we forgot what was in the email. 
And then it's funny because oh yeah, you reminded us. Yeah, we get it. You know. Then they fight, and it's ridiculous. Um, and then immediately afterward, Ramona takes Scott, and they go on the bus, and she explains it again, right? But again, the character is not listening. He's like, "Wait, if we're dating, does that mean we get to make out?" And they, you know, make out, cut to black. Then we have the great Seinfeld intro yeah, the- moment. <laughs> yeah, the- <laughs> <laughs> Does it get any more random? Because <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not even video games anymore. <laughs> like, that was just... Yeah, it's just pop culture at this point. Yeah, but it was just perfectly timed. Um, but it's a, it's actually a key scene because he's talking with Wallace about this next date and Wallace is able to be the audience for us here. And like his whole his face th- during this whole scene is just like, bro, you need to leave that poor little girl knives alone, bro. Mm-hmm. Like... You're wilding, dude. Like, um, and simultaneously, we get an introdu- introduction to Lucas Lee, which would be my choice for um, homie from Mortal Kombat. Oh, for uh, Johnny Cage? Yeah, he, he'd yeah. be a perfect Johnny Cage. Yeah, I like this uh, Lucas Lee introduction because they they do a twofold where he kind of talks about the character and showing them the magazines. Like, oh, this is Lucas Lee. I'll kind of stalk him and he's going to be filming here, which sets up how they end up meeting Lucas on set. But then for after that, then they kind of show who the character is in this quick scene that's on TV, on Spike TV, which is <laughs> when he, uh, he, it's called Cold Call. <laughs> and he runs into this phone booth and immediately you knew it was action because he dialed with his gun. Like he like dials numbers <laughs> and he's like, there's going to be two clicks. He's like the two clicks you'll hear. One, one, I hang up. One's when I hang up, the other's when I pull the trigger. I pull the trigger. And I was like, yes, action. And I thought he played them just like, I don't know if you've seen Tropic Thunder, but that's how Tug Speedman talks in all his action movies. It's like, who left the fridge open? Like it's just action movie voice. <laughs> so it's great. Who left the fridge open? <laughs> but yeah, Lucas Lee, the second X. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and you know, it's crazy. You know, some of y'all might not have noticed, but there are X's, like literal, the numeral, the number, whatever you want to call it, the letter X mm-hmm. throughout this movie. And the number keeps going up with each X. So it's like, you know, like even Todd, he has the number three on his shirt. He's the third mm-hmm. X. It's really cool. I think that's a cute little nerd thing. Um, but yeah, uh, so we have Lucas Lee on the TV and then... You know, at this point, Scott finally wises up. He, he takes not. It's it's pretty jacked up, right? Because it's from the sequence we know that going to the record store is part of their little after-school date. Mm-hmm. So he takes her to this record store and he takes his time. He waits until she says "I love you," and then he's like, "I don't think we should do this anymore." And then the dirt bag. He's like sad for two seconds on the bus and then he thinks mm-hmm. of Ramona and he's like, oh, I'm good. I'm right. fine. <laughs> what a dick. He's just, <laughs> he's just an asshole the whole movie. But it's like, he's a lovable asshole. He's a perfect asshole, as Wallace Wells would say. Um, it's just, I don't know. Like, I thought it was a really well done scene because it doesn't stray away from like, this dude is, he's, he's inappropriate. Like, mm-hmm. why would you take her to this place? She loves Clash at Demon Head. She loves music. And you're going to break up with her there? Garbage. Garbage person. (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, after the breakup, we see him on the bus. Um, and we start to see how he's even disrespectful to the band because he goes to rehearsal and the moment that Ramona shows up, he's out. He's right, like, oh, right. Neil knows my part. And, uh, and so then him and Ramona leave, um, but he gets to freak out about her hair, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, now they're at their apartment and we kind of have the subtext about hair kind of specifically, but also like, oh, she's so fickle and she's, she's just impulsive and I don't know what I can do. Um, this whole sequence before we get to the, the castle, uh, what do y'all think about it? Think about that. Like with with him having issues with like her hair and all that type of stuff. The hair, his hair. Yeah, so yeah. I think I think the underlying like one of the themes in this whole movie is uh, that I take out of it, which going back to like our whole thing with like better movies is I think it's it's definitely important to have themes because sometimes you watch a movie and they're like, what is this movie actually about? Like there's things happening, but I don't know why. Like, I think mm-hmm. immediately I go to, like, Wanted. And I'm like, what was this movie about? Mm-hmm. It was a guy becomes an assassin, but did he want to? Does he need to? Like, it just it just mm-hmm. happened. And I was like, because it's cool. This movie mm-hmm. has the different things of, you know, relationships, how they work, the dynamics in it. And something with this scene, I think it's when two people that were kind of broken by their last relationship try to come mm-hmm. together. And you see that Scott... Scott tries to maintain control of everything, right? Like with her hair, da da da. That's why he dated somebody younger than him. And then you have Ramona, who's trying to run away from everything. And their dynamic is interesting because they both, up into a point, were the people that dumped everybody they'd ever been with. Yeah. And then they both get dumped by like, you know, they kind of show it later that she's she used to date Gideon, who's called G Man. This whole movie, which is like this reveal. And then he was dating. Uh, Envy, who was Natalie, and then these two big musician people break up with them, and then it just rocks their world. So I think it's just interesting to see that this movie kind of delves into that, where two people that used to be in control of relationships are not in control of relationships, Mm -hmm. and -hmm. how they deal with it afterwards. That's kind of like the fallout of Scott running away from everything, because they both kind of run too, I guess. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I thought about that. Yeah, I thought thought it was a pretty funny sequence. Cause you start to realize like that dude, he really does wear that hat all the time. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know what I'm saying? Unless he's with his, his band or whatever. But like when he's with knives, he's usually wearing that hat. You know, he's afraid of his, his hair now. His hair. And, uh, and just the reveal of it, it's played for laughs and it's funny. You know, he's being overly dramatic. Even Wallace Wells is like, uh, and you were afraid I was going to gay up the place. Like he's just, <laughs> he's overly emotional and just, and, uh, yeah, it's, but it's also profound because I feel like we each could connect to, you know, like just something that, yeah, I remember someone told me X, Y, and Z about this and then they left me and now I just, I always do, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll never do something like this again, you know, and it's, it's, it's just so real, but it is, you know, it's still funny because it is just hair, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, we have this, uh, he strikes out, he goes to look for Wallace and, uh, another great thing this movie does, you know, like calling, um, Gideon G-Man, um, when, when, when Scott's like, oh, we're going to go walk, take a walk. We know he's going to look for Wallace who's looking for Lucas Lee, 
But the character Scott doesn't tell Ramona that we're going to go see Lucas Lee. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like they do a very good job of like hiding things from characters so that when, you know, we get to the castle and she sees Lucas, she's genuinely shocked as a character. And the we as the audience, like, you know, I, I guess technically I've watched it so many times, I saw it coming. But it's like, if you paid attention, you might have been able to piece together, oh, I bet she dated that dude. But like, there's still that bit of suspense, like, oh, what's she going to do when she finds out when they get to this castle? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I thought she, you know, just little details, like she was so embarrassed, just talking about him, just being there. When they started the fight, like she's just, I think you can kind of see her start to leave, mm-hmm. like kind of hiding her face. She's like, oh, I can't believe these two dumbasses are fighting right now over me. Um, but yeah, so then we get to this castle and we see Lucas Lee and his stunt people beat the yeah. hell out of Scott Pilgrim. This was a dope fight. Uh, I like this one because I feel like out of all the exes, Lucas was probably the one that was a cool like character on his own. Like He almost had his whole thing just together. The first guy was kind of a, the pirate. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, they're like, pirates are in. <laughs> um then lucas kind of has this whole thing a skater that's an action guy that he's like going for the oscars this year like he's <laughs> he's like a whole character and then you kind of yeah. get later on you get like i think next is todd that we'll talk about the vegan yeah. dude but then yeah so you get some more characterization with them but yeah lucas is dope because he comes in he's got the stunt doubles they're fighting and i like when he walks away and his phone and he's like <laughs> that's actually hilarious that's actually hilarious. <laughs> like he's just like this dude um but the stunt double scene was cool but once again it was like one of those things where i was like eh, this action sequence is kind of like the other action sequence but i'll give scott pilgrim this is that every fight turn he ends every fight differently like it's not how much yeah. he punched the bad guy which is cool um, I think a lot of movies just go into that is how many bullets can I shoot at this bad guy till he's dead mm-hmm. or how how long can two CGI monsters fight each other? This one was like everything was either use your wits to win, use your musicality to win, um, you find your self-confidence, all that kind of stuff. There's different elements, different layers to how, so every fight wasn't monotonous. And so I think with some of the movies that we've seen before, a sword fight is a sword fight no matter how many times you see it hand-to-hand mm-hmm. fighting is hand-to-hand fighting but if you mix it up and you do stuff like this movie i think you get interesting fights and you can tell a story throughout the fight so the movie doesn't just come to a standstill and i think that's kind of that's kind of dope that's what i like about this one yeah 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 with all I, the fights oh, go ahead go ahead go ahead now and um i real i watched when i watched it this time i realized that the first fight is the only one where he, where Scott Pilgrim actually defeats the person on his own, like Matthew Patel, all the rest of them, he kind of like calls on the vegan, the vegan cops or mm-hmm. Lucas Lee self-destructs on his own because of his ego and stuff like that. So um, yeah, like Scott Pilgrim is a hero, but I, it still brings in the character elements of, of like his band and the people around him in those fights. Yeah, like, actually, I was going to say something similar, you know, looking at the allegory, you know, of just dealing with someone's baggage or even just the individual types of people, you know, and the different types of baggage, like with Lucas Lee, he has his homies come beat up Scott. So it's like Scott isn't just dealing with Lucas, he's dealing with his homies, but it's still connected to his ego, right? 
Lucas needs attention. He needs to be surrounded by people. So Scott figures out, okay, the best way for me to beat this guy is to have him do a dangerous stunt because there's girls watching. And it's like, <laughs> it's a silly little joke, but it's all kind of right there. It's like, of course, this dude who uses, you know, his followers to beat him up, he, you know, Scott uses his wits and he flips it. He's like, okay, now, you know, put your life in danger because of girls watching. And then he killed, like, that's crazy. But like, I don't know, like, I... I feel like every time I watch it, I'm just kind of picking up on some of these little allegorical like elements about relationships and ego and like you know being pig-headed and all this stuff. But pretty profound to me. Um, so yeah, right after this, Ramona bails. She just disappears, mm-hmm. and it's very important for the story for the character, which I think is dope. It isn't just a thing that happens because it's dramatic. So that leaves uh, Scott to go by himself. Now he's feeling super insecure. He gets back to his apartment and then Envy calls. Yeah. And and that's detrimental. <laughs> I like the whole character of Envy in this movie because she almost plays like the real antagonist to Scott. Yeah. Because Scott to this point doesn't know that Gideon exists and he just fights these guys or the, the exes that show up throughout the movie. But Envy is like his whole origin story of why he mm. is Scott Pilgrim now, right? Is he's awkward. He's dating a 17-year-old and doesn't know how to do relationship stuff because Envy apparently broke him. And like she just calls, and when she calls, you immediately see him just like wither up and die. Like he's he's got nothing as soon as she gets on the phone with him. Um, and I think that kind of leads, yeah, after she gets off the phone with him, I think is this when he he sees her in real life, like a couple scenes later or something um i can't remember where we're at kind of kind of so what what happens is envy envy uh calls right after that knives shows up and he bails on her so it's like you see this oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. this okay. avalanche of like people just it's you know it's that vicious cycle of like you know why is someone acting you know like a dick oh it's because mm-hmm. someone broke his heart well why is she breaking hearts oh because someone broke hers it's like yeah, just hurt people hurt people hurt people hurt people and it's like again it's played for laughs but it's pretty deep like mm-hmm. and you got wallace you know he's he's trying to stay out of it but trying to take up for his homie but still trying to be sweet to knives but yeah so after that um scott you know he's just trying to run away trying to figure out what's going on he gets he gets attacked by this mysterious woman, you know, yeah. who, <laughs> who disappears and we get to meet later. <laughs> but yeah, this is like, like this whole sequence is like, because he gets, it's, it's a crazy sequence where a lot of bad shit happens. Mm-hmm. The mysterious woman attacks him and he's just like, ah, so he goes to call his sister and go talk to her. Yeah, she okay. bails on him. Like everyone's just bailing. Then he goes to try to get a coffee and Julie cusses him out. He's having a really bad day. That scene is hilarious because he, when she's like cussing and it's bleeping out, he's like, how are you doing that thing with your mouth? <laughs> and it makes me laugh every time because that's like the one weird thing that everybody sees is weird. Like everything, everything else, else in the is movie cool. is sound effects and stuff and people doing crazy acrobatics. And then as soon as she goes, and he's like, how are you, how are you doing that with your mouth? <laughs> It's called a beat job, Scott. You should get one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and again, like this dude Edgar, he just stacks a scene 
because it's not just Scott trying to get advice from his sister. Like this is like the third person to bail on him right at this point. Mm-hmm. But then Ramona's there. And so it's like, okay, bet. Like they get a, a moment to reconcile. No, because Envy shows up and makes Ramona bounce again. Like it's just like, it's just this catastrophic, like just bullshit, like shitstorm. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's also pretty funny, like how because they, they established the poster in the background. Yeah, yeah. When he's talking to Ramona. <laughs> And then she's standing in the same position, like right in front of it. <laughs> and then I think there's another quick joke here where she goes, your hair's getting kind of long. And he's like, is it? And his hat is on the, like <laughs> a frame later. Hilarious. We get a we get a reprise of one of my favorite jokes I forgot to mention from the first band. When he's like, Ramona, you totally came. She's like, yeah, I did totally come. <laughs> and then here with, with Envy, she's like, Oh, I'm here to perform. You should totally come. <laughs> it's so funny to me. It's so it's such a kid's joke. Like it's an eighth grade joke. And I love it every time. Because she's so breathy. <laughs> you should totally come. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> He's having a good time. This movie know. was made for him. <laughs> It's my favorite. Oh man. Um, and that's the end of the movie. No. <laughs> so yeah, so she invites him to the to the concert and he's just angry, whatever. He shows up for um rehearsal with the sex bombs, and then he finds out that Envy did him one better and asked for his band to open for her in the clash at Demon Head. Mm-hmm. And um you know, he gets some advice from Ramona. She's like, yeah, it sucks, but the adult thing to do would be to do the gig. And then, right. you know, uh, I think they make some joke about, like, being adults while Knives is watching, you know? And, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's, like, in the window. Yeah. <laughs> Just stalking. <laughs> Poor thing. Like, because it's also, like, it makes sense for her character because she's very, very young. And she's yeah. dating this older dude. She probably was super cool in high school. Mm-hmm. And then, like, now she's just stalking this dude and she sees this, uh, what'd she call her? Cool, hipster, fat-ass chick. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so rude, because she's not fat. She's not at all. <laughs> barely thick. <laughs> barely. Barely thick. But then, we, yeah, we have this uh, sequence with knives freaking out. Um and oh, yeah. dyes her, her hair like Ramona with her friend. Her friend is like low key one of the funniest people in the. Yeah, world. yeah. Like yeah. it's like what? I can't even hear you. Like she's like yelling <laughs> while she's like washing her hair. She's like, I can't even hear what you're saying. Like, you should know. probably, you should probably take it out. <laughs> she's like, it's burning. Yeah, she's funny. <laughs> yeah, um, and we kind of get like this. You know, it's almost like we're getting a villain origin story here, right? Where. She's talking about, oh man, I gotta get revenge. I gotta do X, Y, and Z, whatever. Like, um, and you know, so it makes sense when she slides into. Well, I guess it wasn't DMs back then. She texts Young Neil like, oh, oh, OMFG, like you're, like, so, you're hot. so hot. <laughs> Poor Young Neil was just bait. Um, and then yeah, so then like we move pretty quickly, and uh, and we get to this concert. And on the way, Ramona and Scott, uh, they talk about like this this guy Todd, and they don't realize that they're both talking about the same, same dude. Envy's dating a Todd, and Ramona's like, I used to date a Todd, you know. 
And then we get to this concert and they're both standing in the middle of the audience and they see like, that's Todd. And it's just, it's just so, it's just, I don't know, again, expertly placed drama, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with this movie, and I think you were kind of mentioning it too, right? Is that, or Mia was mentioning it, like everything has a payoff and everything, there's a reason why people do certain stuff. Like even throughout this whole movie, you have the conversation and some of the conversations repeat themselves, but every time they repeat, they give a little bit more information or you start to fig- or you start to ask questions. Like, I think one thing that repeats itself throughout the movie is how Scott will say, you're seven evil boyfriends or seven yeah. evil yeah. ex-boyfriends. And she always goes, yeah. she says exes. And he does it multiple times until finally one scene, he goes like, why do you keep saying that? And then that's when you're like, oh, because up <laughs> until that point, the mysterious girl kind of comes into the picture. You're just like, I don't know why she's here. It plays against like our collective societal thinking of what dating is. Right. Like, I think it's brilliant. It's just like, why would we ever assume that? You know, like. <laughs> he called it a sexy face. <laughs> You had a sexy face. I was bi curious, <laughs> and I'm bi furious. <laughs> oh man, that's that's funny. I hope I'm allowed to laugh at that. You could tell me, LGBTQ community. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, they they keep it, again. Like they know what the theme is. They know what the story is. And instead of like giving you boring exposition, they keep telling you what's going on but it's played for laughs and the repetition is well-placed. Every time we talk about, like the movies about the seven evil exes, mm-hmm. he's going to say ex-boyfriend, she's going to say exes. It doesn't get tired. It's just like, it's just a, it's a puzzle piece. And if you picked up on it, you know, you're going to, it's funny. And, and then when you don't pick up on it, they're still going to break it down for you. But yeah, so uh, we hear this concert. It's actually, I really like this song. Like, I actually like the album. Like for the for oh, the movie, Black Sheep. oh yeah, the song Black Sheep. It, it goes hard, man. Like I, I, I really like it, um, and it's kind of a cool little standoff moment. You know, watching Todd watch them, like he knows he's gonna be a bad guy. Uh, they get invited backstage, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like <laughs> I, w- I was hoping Yannick was gonna be on this call because they establish how bad Todd is because he <laughs> punches knives in the face so her <laughs> highlights come out. <laughs> And Neil is like, he punched the highlights out of her hair. And he's, he's like, like, yeah, I'm a rock star. Of course I'll punch a woman. He's like, I'll hit women. And she's like, you're incorrigible. And he's like, I don't know no, the meaning of the word. word. <laughs> he really doesn't. <laughs> oh, man. But no, it's like, it's, it's, it's a funny scene mm-hmm. because it's, it's shocking but it's also just like, yo, like this dude is, is a piece of shit. Like, I don't like this guy. Like, what is, you know what I'm saying? Like, and of course they're going to set it up later because Scott, he can't, like, I can't even girl. They're too soft and squishy, you know, but it's, it's also a nice little point of like, we know who's the good and bad guy here because Todd, you know, will punch a girl because he's a rock star, (laughs) which which is such a, (laughs) I don't know. Just like, do rock stars really hit women? Is that a thing? I'm a rock, rock stars do what they want to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, then of course we get one of my favorite reveals is Todd has vegan powers. <laughs> yeah, the vegan edge. The, I've, I've reached vegan edge. 
<laughs> yeah. No, that part is dope. Like, I think, I think that's when he kind of jumps out of me. He does a little, like his hair goes super saiyan, like straight yeah. Dragon Ball Z. And yeah. they have a quick little battle where, where he kind of explains like his whole veganism diet. <laughs> He's just like, uh, I don't drink the the milk or the whatever. He just no, goes or on partake on. of the ovum. Oh, the ovum. Of any <laughs> anything with a face. It's and so pretentious. And she's and I think uh, envy comes out and she's like, it just makes them better than other people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it is so self aware that it's like that's kind of that argument people have is like vegan people will quickly tell you how their diet makes them the best in the world. And this just doubles down. Like now you get psychic powers from it right, and all that. Like right. this is why. But, and it's funny too, because like, you know, the school that we went to, you know, it's a religious school. They only serve vegetarian food. And and so on a cultural level, I remember for me, you know, watching this, and I just couldn't believe that they're making these on the nose <laughs> jokes about veganism. Cause I grew up been knowing that vegans were better than everyone else. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, of course, the only thing missing is that they have vegan powers too. Like, <laughs> and you even have Steven Stills. He's just like, wait, uh, why does, why does being vegan give you psychic powers again? Like, cause he previously knew that, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> so funny. And he explains it too, where he says yeah. like the dairy blocks the other yeah. 90% of your brain from function. 90% of your brain is curds and whey. <laughs> so I can actually, attest, hey. I can attest to this because um, I was vegan for like three years. And so um, I had psychic powers for a little bit. And so I actually heard BJ said he wanted me on the call. And I think it was, it was so we could talk about women getting hit, I think. Like, that's why you wanted me here. Yep, he's, he's one of Todd's homies. He, went to he still has his powers. He still has them. I don't know why this joke has been a running joke on our podcast for so long. You can, you can thank G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe has done this. But see, and Yanni kind of proves that point with veganism. As soon as it came up, he was like, hey, so I was a vegan for three years. And, uh, right, right. You're just able to work that into any conversation. I can hear anyone say my name anywhere in the world. <laughs> oh, they're talking about meatless dishes. I mean, I'm in. Latent vegan powers. <laughs> oh, man. That's hilarious. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm here uh, now. Yannicka Megan. Are you caught up? Did you watch the movie? I watched it on 1.5 speed. Um, it made the fight scenes like a lot cooler. Well, yeah, I don't they're, know. They're really quick. Yeah. And Everything the way is, I it's pretty cool. It's Chris. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, speak, speaking of choreography, well, I guess this isn't, as, isn't one of those fight scenes, but, you know, we get into this fight scene, this this base battle, you know, which mm -hmm. I thought, you know, the set deck the, uh, choices with all the plastic cups, I don't know, I just thought that was brilliant because it was super dynamic, but it made sense for the scene. Um, and they had this base-off battle. Yeah, it's I dope. think... I think with this movie, another thing that adds a really important element, um, besides like the comic book stuff and all that, is the music. Like the music brings this whole, I think this the music brings the whole thing together that I would say gives it a little bit more. I'll always say that the comic book works better because that's how, you know, that, it is what it is. It's like seven editions versus- Right, like, it's a huge, it's, so, I think it's technically a manga. Yeah, so it's, it's all of that the format but it was made. in the in the comic they do the music but you obviously you're reading it so you don't hear it and i think this movie brings it to life where like all the songs come together and they slap like yeah i'll take you on a ride in my garbage truck 
It's dope. the jam. <laughs> like truck, truck, truck. Like all of that is good. We're sex bomb. We're here to make you sad and think about death and stuff. So good. Fire. <laughs> but I like even this bass battle is just it's cool because it's a different way of bringing out that element. The you see the d d d d d d d mm-hmm. while he's playing, um, and they kind of battle that way once again, showing that as weird as Scott is, he is actually a talented musician, right? Like he's able to keep up with this super saiyan vegan dude um, in this bass battle. But yeah, I think yeah, Michael Sarah plays type. the bass in real life. Yeah, he's, he's, he's an actual, he released a folk album, I believe at some point, <laughs> which of course he did. Why so not? that's why he was the right casting. He he's didn't have not to the right casting, but we won't, that's fine. He was perfect. Cause that Ramona jam that he wrote, fire love that song <laughs> so good i can't wait to hear the rest of it <laughs> i can't wait till it's finished 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 <laughs> ramona fire um so yeah we have this this vegan battle he uses his mind's eye or whatever to think really hard about soy in the wrong cup mm. and then we get this i, I love like they established in this in this movie that this is a, a universal world that you don't you're not gonna know what's gonna happen next so it's like anytime something crazy happens we're just elated like it's just like oh because it still kind of fleshes out the universe like he establishes he went to vegan academy that he has vegan powers so when the vegan police show up to take away his vegan abilities it's like well yeah of course like, that's how it <laughs> works you know and they go through <laughs> All the different things that he did wrong, you know. <laughs> uh, it's just who's it? Thomas Jane and uh, I don't know the other dude's name. Yeah, it's like I've seen faces that you recognize, like from cop shows. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that was brilliant. Um, yeah, they take away Todd's powers, and he headbutts Todd to <laughs> oblivion. Just like you headbutt my boyfriend so hard he bursts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty, so, pretty something good. That you, something that you're saying, I think we echo a lot on this show is when you create a movie or a universe, you establish these rules and we'll watch the movie and critique it and review it and be upset based on the rules. I think what Scott Pilgrim does very well is it establish the rules of we can do whatever we want mm-hmm. and they go with it. And, it's, and it still fits within the story every time. But you're able to watch a movie and say, this is, this is going to happen and this could happen. And when things do happen that you don't expect, that's also fine because that is the rule of the movie is that they're pulling from video games where you can, you can store a sword in your chest and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pulling from comic books where people have conversation from panel to panel and it switches and their sound effects. And this movie does that well, where it sets up and it builds up into that to the point that you start, I think it's a few scenes later when we get to it, is like they have a the the battle of the amps back and forth, and there's mm-hmm. like full-on kaiju fighting each other. And you're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, because that's that's where the movie naturally goes. That's what and it that's, is. And that's fine. But yeah, I think we talk about it in different films, it's just if you make a rule, follow the rule and do it yeah. and then push it to that limit. And I think this is kind of embodies that perfectly. Is the rule was we're making a movie that will be a it is a comic book and the movie will play out like a comic book and a video game all in one and then it does that and then it constantly just levels that up every time you go even further into it 
yeah, another movie that establishes that the rules are there are no rules um, is The Matrix. You know, one of the greatest action movies, greatest sci-fi of all time, where the first half of the movie, they're setting up the movie, the characters, whatever. But when we get to that midpoint, they establish, right, when they're fight, you know, when he's doing the fight training, Morpheus and Neo, you know, he's like, do you think that's air you're breathing? He's like, you're saying that one day, like, if I can, I can, bullets will bounce off me. He's like, or I can dodge bullets. And he's like, one day I'm saying you won't have to. Like, it's, they, they establish from the rest of this movie, so long as Neo opens his mind, he's going to do whatever he wants. And that's what makes the last half of the movie so awesome because he just keeps doing that. But then you have movies like Ultraviolet, right? Which one of my favorite movies to rag on on this show. <laughs> uh, like, they didn't establish the rules. They didn't say this character comes from the fifth dimension and can access any weapon from the nether realm. They didn't do that. They didn't, like, just give me that and I'm cool mm. with the knives and the random, you know, gravity thing. Like, you can you can break rule or, like, you know, exactly what you're saying. And Scott Pilgrim does it perfectly. Like, they, and, and they don't have to say it outright, right? Like, like I was saying earlier with Julie Powers in the record store, they're slowly starting to show you like, yo, we're going to do some interesting things with the camera. And I guess even from the beginning, they start with the title cards of the character names. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay, this is going to be comic book. And then when we get to Matthew Patel, it's like, oh, shoot. These guys are really going to do all things comic and video games. Mm-hmm. So then we get to this, yeah, like this vegan thing. is just like, yo, this is awesome. It's not random. It's not stupid. It's just super dope. I think uh, one of the things about having like something where a movie where anything can happen is that at least for the fight scenes, there's not really any stakes, which is fine because the movie is entertaining in, in so many other ways. Like the stakes really are about you know, his relationship, but it, it just makes the fight scenes um, just more of like a, like a, like a show, you know, than, uh, than actually a fight. I mean, they kind of established like that Scott turns people into coins. So you almost get this thought, like maybe Scott, could be turned into coins. I guess. But I, mean, I see what you're you saying. He's not gonna. Yeah, I mean, because he's the main character. That's like the worst thing about main characters is they're never gonna die. Because like even when they kill him in this movie, he already got the one up, which is well placed. But uh yeah, Why main character the one up die. again. Um because he killed it in that concert against the Katayagi Kata, Katayanagi. Katayanagi. The twins. I tell you, Nagi twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like he, he like steps it up, and he's just like, "We're gonna destroy these folks." Um, which we're actually coming up to really quick, um, because right after this base battle, Scott's in a really foul mood, and so you know he's kind of being the dude. Like, just go home, bro. Like, you don't want to go out. Ramona already gave you the out. Like, come on, we don't have to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know he's being a little punk. And so we get to have this cool little public spat between Ramona and Scott, kind of their first fight, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty brutal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. They kind of get in there um, because, yeah, kind of sandwiched in between this fight is Roxy shows up um, after Ramona corrects him one more time. It's not ex-boyfriends, it's exes. 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 Yeah, Roxy. Yeah, I love that it's oh, a, I love this the girl from I love that Roxy is the girl from Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the girl that nobody sees like ever. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I think her name's Anne. 
Yeah. Again, it's just yeah. so, uh, she's a great girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was uh, wonderful yeah. casting. Because she's, she's good. Like, she's a really good actress. Like, oh, yeah. I really believed her as this, as this Southern lesbian chick <laughs> who's so mad. But she, like, I feel like she's the most, like, like, yeah, like, Ramona just had her little vicarious phase with her. Like, that's rude, man. Like, and something else we didn't mention with all the, the exes is I really liked how, um, like, a couple of times I did, like, a little bit of, like, a comic strip when she was explaining how she, yeah. like, mm-hmm. dated them. And so it was it was exposition, but it was done in a fun way. And it was real quick that it was like, we don't have to get the whole history. I get it that when you dated, you guys were in high school. This was before he was an actor. It's like all of them, it's, you get a sense of what their relationship was like when she dated them, what phase of her life she was in when she dated them without adding 20 minutes to the movie. You know, yeah. it's real quick. Yeah, and it's cool because they used the art from the comic. Mm-hmm. Oh, they basically but- just animated that art which i think is you know some directors and producers are very respectful of source material and the writers and stuff um but it's actually kind of more rare that you'll have someone who's just like oh no we're we're gonna take it in a different direction i i have a completely different vision and i feel like things usually work better when there is that respect and like you know brian lee o'malley's work is just all throughout this film which uh, I always appreciated as like a, a point of like artistic respect. Mm. But yeah, like you have this cool, cause you know, we have this argument where we also kind of get this reveal where Scott has also never, he's only been dumped once. And so we're starting to get this understanding of like, oh, they're actually kind of made for each other. They're both kind of like these similar people that just run through people mm-hmm. um, based off of what they want to do. Roxy shows up, she's super angry. Because she's, you know, she's, yeah, like, come on, man. Like, I'm not an experiment. Right. Um, and then, so Ramona steps in to fight because Scott is not going to hit a girl. Like, that's crazy. Like, I can't do it, you know? And uh, and Roxy's like, no, he has to defeat me with his own hands. <laughs> and uh, I really like the choreography where she just kind of was flipping him around like a rag doll. Yeah, I think this was probably my favorite fight out of all of them. Because I like yeah. how it was, how stylized it was, where it's like a puppet master type of thing, like yeah. picking up and she would like kick his foot so that it would kick her yeah. and all that. And I was like, this is kind of yeah. dope. Like they really, yeah. they really put this together. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I like, uh, like it was a nice, cool little random weapon where she pulls off her belt and it's like just this, like, it's just this belt of like knives. Mm-hmm. But like it worked for me. So she's like whipping it around and she's like, yeah, like. Yeah, it's badass. <laughs> I really liked it a lot. <laughs> it was fun. And then, you know, my favorite finish of the of the movie is the spot behind the knee. You will never make her feel like this. <laughs> Apparently, I like orgasm jokes. That's what yeah, I just that's realized. <laughs> I think that's what you took from this movie. They were like <laughs> two or three, and you found every one of them. Like your ultraviolet like, did not have enough orgasms for me. <laughs> <laughs> that could have made it a better movie <laughs> I'm sure there's a version of Ultraviolet that, uh, okay. in the director's cut <laughs> in the Snyder cut of Ultraviolet <laughs> the orgasm <laughs> <There's 100. laughs> I believe it. Five, 
five more orgasms per film. <laughs> That's why everybody loved uh, Justice League Snyder Cut because it had Joker's reach around in it, and that, that amplified the movie to a whole nother level. They're like more Batman orgasms, please. More Batgasms. <laughs> made me made me wonder, like, man, is that behind anything real? <laughs> like, does that hmm. actually work? It could be. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Behind the knee, she turned into coins. I also love how, like, the coins, it was like the only time where the coins just like flew in their face. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> they both were like, <laughs> All right, children, get it together. Get it together, children. <laughs> it's in the movie. It's, it's just. And they're like blinking. <laughs> Next. Oh, that's cinema. Oh, that's hilarious. Woo. Coingasm. All right. I'm back. And we're How back. How many points was she? She was what, 4,000? I think she was 4,000. Yeah. Uh, Excellent 6,000. Yeah, the two, the Keddie and Nagi twins, and it's funny because like when they you know do the exposition about the twins, they're just like what at the same time, and like for them to come right after, you know, Roxy, it's just like man, like Ramona's pretty hardcore. That's crazy, man. But yeah, so you kind of have this amp for amp um, announcement that the next you know duo that they're gonna hit you know in the tournament is the the these japanese dudes um that i guess are more like kind of djs i guess and yeah. um and yeah this is also so during this performance this is the first time that we actually see g-man or gideon and mm-hmm. ramona's hair has changed for the third time to green um which i thought like to kind of this whole sequence as far as the colors you know they're they're playing against the the twins um we see that her hair is green we kind of associate green with gideon and then when um when we get the kaiju thing and then you know scott he's like what gideon is g-man he gets up and he's ready to go Mm -hmm. and the sasquatch that they make is a green-eyed monster so it's kind of like you have this idea of like the green-eyed monster of jealousy Mm -hmm. um and like i think even scott's eyes turn green so it's like this dude is just like He's just mad jealous because the whole time this band is looking for the approval of the dude that's been trying to kill him with all the exes. Mm. It's just all those layers of, of story, man. It was beautiful for me. Very astute. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I've watched this movie 20 million times. Ah, man. There it is. I love it so much. It's one of my favorites. I love it. I like how he's slowly growing in confidence as well. Mm-hmm. He's like ready to fight now. Like before he's like what the hell's going on and now he's like okay let's do it yeah yeah especially after todd he was just like he was so mad and so ready to like stop fighting you know um but then yeah to see that newfound like fury in this moment was i mean obviously it's what pushes us through like the this last bit of the movie where they go outside ramona breaks up with him because he says i'm in lesbians with you what an idiot um but also there's just something about Gideon I can't I can't describe it 
Um, and then Gideon does like the most gangster dick move by like signing Scott's band. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like Scott's like, no, you can't sign with them. I won't be in the band. And, and then, then young, like, Neil. young Neil, yeah. <laughs> young Neil shows up with the bass like I do. I was like, young so Neil. it's like it's a crazy scene where like he's just destroyed. He loses the band. He loses you know his girl, mm-hmm. and. Um, and it's almost all because he's just kind of a dumbass. Like, mm. why would you say I'm in lesbians with you, bro? Like, are you? And he realizes it too afterwards. He's like, love, not lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, then he has that, that scene with his sister mm-hmm. on the swing, which, again, if you pay attention, I'm pretty sure she's talking to a, a Michael Sarah fill in i don't think they actually were on the swing together um which is interesting to me i have to go back and check that out because now i'm i'm like man did i miss that but it makes yeah, sense like, because they did a lot of cuts like that where she was never she was like on the only person on screen and they would switch back and forth between cuts so that's interesting i was i was really paying attention during the swing scene this time and like like the person, it's like the the stand-in, like you kind of see like kind of his nose. And it's just like, if you really pay it, like I don't think that's much of Sarah. Cause like, <laughs> I feel like if it was, they would have done a nice wide to show Them Anna Kendrick and yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I just feel like they, you know, got creative. Well, they did, um, they did a much better job of hiding that than the Snyder cut in that nightmare sequence. Everybody was like individual. <laughs> no that, that Anna Kendrick, her, if she really isn't with anybody, like that that was very subtle. They did a real good, a real good job with cuts. That's Edgar Wright. He's he's the G man. Um, so yeah, like he talks to his sister, gets some advice, and then he gets evicted from his uh, place. I mean, he's not kicked out on the streets immediately, but like Wallace is like, bro, you got to leave. Moving with Ramona, and he's like, Ramona broke up with me. He's like, I that sucks, but you still got to go. So it's like Scott is literally at his lowest, and that's when G man calls and um, invites him to the opening of his club. And Wallace is like, forget everything I said, go kick his ass. Mm-hmm. So then we have the cool sequence of, you know, Scott showing up to the club with all the passwords and, and <laughs> yeah. everybody there. <laughs> he's like, whatever. And he's like, all right, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, okay, yep. <laughs> yeah, so... This is basically like the big last, you know, piece of the film. Uh, what y'all think? So I'm gonna jump in because this is this is where I thought that the movie to me needed improvement, and I think it needed to. You probably had to back it up a little bit more to kind of fix it. But for me, most of the movie was about this whole relationship thing and Scott getting his relationship together. Da da da. And then the end of the movie turned into it was more about Scott gaining self-confidence and self-esteem and whatever, which I kind of get that they were trying to play these parallels before we got broken up with by Envy. So his confidence is here. And then maybe this is why mm-hmm. he treats women the way he treats them. But I feel like it got really muddy. And then they just said, let's throw an action sequence in here. And then the movie will go off in like 10 minutes. So it to me, it felt like there were only a few minutes and they just turned it into an action sequence and like the power of love and the power of self-respect. And you just kind of went forward with it. Um, 
and so it was kind of for me it was a little bit too quick where it just went off and I was like I don't know what we were trying to solve I thought we were doing one thing then it turned into a different movie at the end and then with this part two I felt like the last two exes got well three the last three exes got nothing like the two uh DJs were just kind of like cannon fodder in the movie like I don't even think they talked Mm -hmm. (laughs) they just they were just there um and then Gideon Gideon kind of explains this thing, but for him to be the big bad of the movie, I feel like he only got like five minutes to do anything. And I guess he's technically not the big bad because he's Ramona's antagonist and Scott's antagonist is himself or learning about himself. But it just seemed like Gideon was like, hey, yeah, I put this league together and uh, that's it. That's the movie. And I was like, oh, okay. Once again, I don't hate Scott Pilgrim. I just, there's some (laughs) points that I feel just kind of get left on the cutting room floor to make it into a, a movie as compact as it is. But yeah, it just, to me, this last sequence was, and then they did the whole thing when they did it twice because they're like, oh, he had an extra life and he's got to learn. It just seemed very quick. Yeah, I mean, the idea of Nega Scott at the end, I felt like, like, I agree. Like, I feel like that could have, like, if you, if the whole thing was like, you're you're dealing with the baggage of Ramona in the form of seven evil exes. So the ultimate thing is you have to deal with your baggage. Um, but then of course, like they played it in a way where they're like, they kind of subvert the idea that he has to fight himself. He's like, yeah, no, he's actually a pretty sweet guy. You know, we're going to go get brunch, you know? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying, but but at the same time, I mean, they like with knives showing up and like kind of forcing him to reconcile with the huge huge plot point of like dude you cheated and then like what like what you were saying earlier Mia like he technically cheated on both of them you know because like she's just like wait you cheated on me it's like no I cheated on her with you she's like what's the difference because like it's all it's all yeah it's all cheating so, like, I feel like they did kind of take the time they needed to deal with that, you know, even giving, you know, Nye's her kind of catharsis. And, like, she was able to kind of process the whole thing and realize, yeah, I don't want anything to do with this dude. Like, <laughs> I'm too cool for this guy. So, I don't know. Like, it, I don't, I don't necessarily think that we, like, you know, we didn't know that much about Matthew Patel, even Lucas Lee, like, you know, I feel, I think maybe it's more credit to Chris Evans' work, where it's just, you felt more of, like, a real person. But we didn't really get to know tons of the the exes. I feel like they were all kind of cannon fodder, in a way. Well, with the twins, with the twins, I I read on IMDb, like, the reason that they didn't have, like, any lines is because they didn't really speak English. And so a lot of the directing... Like they were just like, all right, you're you're not gonna. This is what you're supposed to be feeling. Like, try to get convey that through your actions. Like, they had to have like a translator, and so they're like, yeah, for them to have had any lines where he actually talks to Scott or Ramona, the twins, it wouldn't have worked because they didn't understand English. So, I don't know if the comic that they actually explain their backstory better because I didn't read it, but that's why at least why in the movie why that one at least felt that way that it got rushed. Mm. One of the things about um, Gideon um, that kind of makes him, I guess, like you said, he's 
really Romano's antagonist. Um, but what makes it how how it affects uh, Scott is that um, she's she's the one who's just like, yeah, it's not worth it. it's not worth this fight because this guy has has control. I can't control myself around this guy. Mm-hmm. So in the other ones, it's just like uh, you have to beat them to you know to date me, and this one is just like don't even worry about dating me anymore because this guy is in control. And so mm-hmm. he has to he has to find his own motivation for this, mm-hmm. for this fight. Uh, and, but and but he gets it wrong the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He gets it wrong. He, he thinks it's it's I I uh, I love her right. That's what he says. Right. Um. And then he has that that extra life though, so mm-hmm. he can he has to redo that whole evaluation of why he's actually fighting. So I don't know. I think that's I think that's an interesting like they try they try to make it a little more profound, you know, a little mm-hmm. something to think about. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like it's definitely there. Like this dude Scott Pilgrim, all of his behavior is stemmed from his reactions to how someone else treated him. Like it's just he's he's not confronting himself. He's he's constantly trying to be distracted. You know, he thinks another woman's gonna fix it. He thinks a hat's gonna cover his hair. Like they're like he's very he's disconnected from himself. And so, like, you know, exactly what you're saying, Yannick. Like, first time around, he thinks, oh, it's the power of love. It's because I love her. Yeah, like that's that's important, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. it's the self-respect that you know gives him the power to move on further. But I think even then, you know, you kind of have that moment where I think Gideon breaks the self-respect sword. Um, because at the end, like you need like your self-respect can only take you so far in that situation. Ramona had to <laughs> make him a let's both be girls. You know, she had to <laughs> overcome him, mm-hmm. you know. And um, you know, you can almost say Scott Pilgrim's self-respect and love for her kind of helped empower that, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. I think I would have liked that. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I think I would have liked for the ending for Ramona and Scott to not have ended up together. Really? Because like the vibe, the vibe that I got watching it the next time, the second time or second time fully through it, it gave me the vibes of like 500 days of summer mm-hmm. where they, where like you watch it and you think that, um, Oh, like the girlfriend's a jerk but like throughout the entire movie she was letting you know that like she didn't want this long-term relationship mm-hmm. and the guy had to kind of figure that out which he didn't because he went and chased after autumn at the end but they didn't you knew that they both needed to work on themselves and I feel like that was the same for Scott and Ramona like yeah they dealt with their baggage a little bit but I think that they needed to know who they were on their own. And that was kind of the confidence that he found going up against Gideon is like, I'm me as a person, like I, I have all these qualities even though he's a, a jerk at times, but he doesn't need to like be in a relationship to be who he is. And Ramona seems like she's been in a ton of relationships and she needs to just stand on her own. So I would have liked at the end if somehow that they, but I don't know if that's going away from like the source material. So that's probably not. But I think from a, a movie standpoint, I would have liked mm. to like, you know what, we don't need to be together. Like I defeat all your exes and stuff. I'm gonna be another one, but we're ending the guild or the league. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the guild. <laughs> <laughs> of 
experiences with him. So yeah. that's what I would, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think on like a, in a real life sense, if I knew both of these people, I'd be like, yo, <laughs> y'all need to be single for a little bit. Y'all need to leave some people alone, figure yourself mm-hmm. out. But I feel like from the movie's perspective, like for him to beat all these exes and Gideon and then not be with her. And I think that's what Knives kind of says. Like, oh, you were fighting for her the whole time. Like, I feel like there, you kind of need that, like, like, man, like, you know, get the prize kind of a thing. Um, and I think they at least did a nice job where Ramona's like, yo, <laughs> this whole ordeal shows I got some issues. I got to disappear. Um, so I did like the idea that Scott was also like, yo, I, I think I should disappear too. Let's do it together from a story perspective. But yeah, if I knew those cats, I'd be like, y'all have problems. Like, I don't know if this is going to work out for y'all. But then again, I'm the perpetually single one. So what do I know? <laughs> I mean, did, did they, didn't they overcome them? You know, like he, uh, his last, his last boss really was himself. And, um, mm-hmm. He just agreed to get brunch with himself, mm-hmm. and then all her, all her exes were resolved. And they're both girls now, I guess. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's just like okay, now with all that out of the way, it's and, and the thing is like they don't really. It's not like they kiss at the end or anything. It's just like all right, let's let's just see where where this goes. It's like almost mm-hmm. ended. Mm-hmm. I yeah, know. I like the symbolism of the door. Like the first door when she first, you know, literally opening up to him. Oh, mm-hmm. you want to come through this thingy with me? And then at the end here, it's like, okay, I'm I'm going into a new phase. Um, and it's still kind of represented by this door, like, okay, I'm I'm gonna open up this new door. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like it's it's kind of open-ended because they don't kiss, there's no proposal, we don't see them 50 years later because uh, yeah it's possible they break up after a week <laughs> you, you know is there a space for a sequel oh man i wouldn't want that <laughs> i was just thinking like there's no other like this movie's so unique and interesting there's not really like the only thing that i could think of that was similar to it was a kung fu hustle or stuff by that guy mm-hmm. um shaolin soccer like it's like over mm-hmm. the top um so yeah, I wonder why there's not more movies like that, or at least another movie in the in the same universe. I I I wouldn't necessarily want to see a sequel. I could see, and hear me out. I could see like a limited series reboot event, like a a six episode something like on HBO, where you know new cast, but try to fit in more of the stuff from the comics. Because like this one, like you're saying, Marcus, like they they kind of picked bits of it, and I think they did a pretty good job of making it a feature film because it's just so much. Mm-hmm. I think even in the comics, Stephen Stills ends up being gay, and they don't, you know, there's no illusion. Is that to Dax, this at all. the Dax Shepard looking dude? Yeah, yeah, the lead singer. Because oh. yeah, because um, yeah, <laughs> he. Because he has his own like relationship issues arc. Because I feel like in the in the comics, every character is basically dealing with relationships in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that right, Marcus? Yeah. Because he they they allude to it in this one too. Because he he used to date uh, Julie. Mm-hmm. Or Julie. Yeah, yeah. Julie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you can see how it's a little toxic because 
like well she's kind of toxic <laughs> but uh but yeah like i i wouldn't want to see a sequel but i could see like a a series six episodes get deeper into some of the stuff mm-hmm. get a you know a better scott pilgrim uh, actor for marcus <laughs> wait did you guys go through like potential other actors no, yeah. I just thought we did like one. I thought, what's his name? Jay, whatever. Jay he plays Burchell. like, I think he plays Hiccup in, isn't he the voice of Hiccup yeah. in How to Train Your Dragon? Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of in that same vein of like an awkwardy dude, but he doesn't go as far weird and dorky as Michael Sarah. <laughs> and that was kind of my, that was kind of my thing was I just thought the whole aspect of Michael Sarah being a lady killer doesn't work for me. And, I, and that's what people kept saying, like, man, Scott, you always date these girls and leave them. And I was like, if Michael Sarah, acting the way he is right now, got a girlfriend, I don't think he's the dumper in any of these. Like, I just can't see him being the guy. But that's what this whole movie was, was the guy that dumps everybody. And then he gets it done by, you know, Brie Larson. <laughs> maybe maybe if if uh, he had his hair cut, it would make, it would make more sense. <laughs> maybe maybe he's he's just in an awkward phase he's just he's super awkward and i was like i don't know if this is the guy but my argument was that the flavors of the great white north may prefer a a lighter roast as Mm. opposed to the darker blends Mm -hmm. so perhaps that might sway certain individuals that uh you know Because not everybody wants chocolate, man. Not even caramel. Some people don't like caramel, man. I'm just like, damn, bro. Look at some of these caramel. This man is having a moment with himself right now. This is about him. This is no longer about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And Taylor versus the world. About people wanting some caramel. Caramel versus (laughs) the world. Yeah, so that's that's Scott Pilgrim. I think I think it's interesting, you know, uh, similarly to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it's this action movie that's driven by, you know, romance and character issues, you know, stuff mm-hmm. that people got to deal with. Um, I think it's a, a testament to like, if you're going to do action, that's fine. If you, if you want to make it a better movie, make sure that the characters want things <laughs> and like have failures, make sure like, I think Scott Pilgrim is a great example of, of a flawed character. Like, he's not a perfect dude, you know? He's almost a dick. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how he's really redeemable other than he learns a lesson. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys have any other, like, other casting thoughts or, or uh, any other kind of overarching, like, what can what can Ben Helsing learn from Scott Pilgrim? Cast cast Michael Sarah as Van Helsing in the <laughs> No, I would love to see Michael Sarah as Van Helsing. I think I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Michael Sarah because he's just strange, and I, I like it. How about it's hilarious Michael Sarah for Johnny Cage? Ooh. Also, also great. <laughs> I mean, he was doing those fight scenes, boy. Like, I was like, I was proud. That was one thing I was thinking about. Like, even uh, Jason Jason Schwartzman, which I think he did a great job of being a pretentious 
geek manager guy. Um, I, I was kind of happy for the actors because it's like, you know, these dudes don't get called for action movies. And, mm. you know, they got to do all the fighting. Like, that was cool to me. Yo, this movie had better fight scenes than Mortal Kombat. Whoa! Whoa, really? Whoa. And there? It, there was no blood. There was no blood. It was choreographed. And you could yeah. see what was happening. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. Better, better fight scenes than 2021's Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Is that what you guys are saying right now? Yes. 100%. That's what I need to say. Better movie maybe is out of hand. <laughs> Y'all niggas coming out of pocket with that one. No, I'm just calling it how I see it. Yeah, no, it was. I think they were way more engaging. <laughs> like you could see what was happening. Yeah, it wasn't them fighting an an invisible lizard man with a thing and somebody screaming out, "Knife me!" Stab. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just to stab. It was an un- unnecessary mid-air twirl. Absolutely. And versus like Scott Pilgrim, all the mid-air twirls were very necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could. I don't think I can go on the record and say that at all. You guys are too outlandish for me. I like to be more reserved in my thoughts. <laughs> all right. Is that right? This is the batgasm guy. <laughs> I'm, I need 10 times more batgasms in my films like... <laughs> alright well I think it's time we rate this movie some better movie maybe we rate our movies on a scale to each person's choosing just like whose line is it anyways it doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't make sense but we do it anyways and we don't even know if you, the audience, likes it. It doesn't matter. We like it. So, suck it. <laughs> not the audience. <laughs> um, BJ does not represent the entire Better Movie Maybe podcast. They uh, like the abuse. The views and the opinions expressed on the Better Movie Maybe podcast do not. <laughs> they like it. Take this hit. Once uneducated again, once again i'm in the editing room and i'll uh, <laughs> make sure to get rid of all of this <laughs> all 20 of you listeners you don't matter i mean i i gotta give it seven million coin gasms i just gotta do it seven million coin gasms <laughs> coin gasms in the face ah <laughs> oh, cinema I will rate this movie on a scale of Scott Pilgrim to Michael Sarah. I give this movie a McLovin. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Marcus has shown up. Excellent. I'm going to use the same scale. And so I'm going to give it a super good. <laughs> a super good. Super good, yeah. That's funny. Thanks. <laughs> On a scale of thematic layers, I give it an onion. Mm. I would give it a parfait, but onions are fine. They have layers too. <laughs> This has been 2010 Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. 
I hope you all enjoyed the episode and stay tuned for more good, bad, and other maybe movies. Check us out on Instagram. Peace.